0: Welcome to the A Catholic Life Podcast. I am Matthew, the author of A Catholic Life, welcoming you to episode 30 of the A Catholic Life Podcast. In today's episode, on the 15th Sunday after Pentecost, I address the following topics. First, when the obligation for attending Mass actually begins. And secondly, the upcoming Feast Days this week, as there are several important ones for us to keep in mind. But before I do so, I'd like to stop and thank the sponsor for today's episode. This episode is sponsored by PrayLatin.com. PrayLatin.com offers Latin prayer cards to learn and share prayers in the sacred language. Learn your basic prayers in Latin conveniently on the go. Practice your pronunciation with easy-to-follow English phonetic renderings of Latin words. PrayLatin.com offers prayer cards in various formats, including Latin-English rosary pamphlets, of course with the traditional 15 mysteries. Shop for additional Latin resources like missile booklets, server response cards, and more. So please visit our sponsor, PrayLatin.com today. Going on to the first topic of today's episode, I'd like to highlight a recent article that I wrote for the Fatima Center entitled, At What Age the Obligation to Attend Mass Begins?, This is a question maybe we don't often think about, but especially those with small children, we have to ask ourselves, at what obligation do our children, baptized Catholics, need to assist at the holy sacrifice of the Mass? Is it a certain age? Is it after they receive a certain sacrament? Are there other factors that are quite important to consider here on what makes one canonically bound to assist at the holy sacrifice of the Mass on Sundays and on holy days of obligation? So this article goes over that topic with regards to Mass attendance for children, but as well as Mass attendance for catechumens, as well as Mass attendance for Protestants. Are Protestants obligated, if they are validly baptized, to attend the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass? But to the first question... Mass attendance for children, our answer for this comes from the Handbook of Moral Theology from Father Dominic Pruner, who conveniently states the opinion of the Church when he says, All baptized persons who have reached the age of seven and have the use of reason are obliged, under penalty of serious sin, to hear Mass on Sundays and Holy Days. Thus, imbeciles and children who have not yet attained the use of reason before the age of 7 years are not strictly bound to assist at mass since ecclesiastical law does not bind them end quote. "hence a good rule of thumb is that children are not bound to assist at mass until age 7 even if they have attained the use of reason at an earlier age even children who receive holy communion in an eastern rite as an infant are not bound to attend mass until age 7 children should be integrated in the parish community as early as appropriate and is possible, but there's no obligation of assisting at Mass earlier than age seven. Following Pope St. Pius X's legislation, it became normative for children to be allowed to receive Holy Communion once they reach the age of reason. At this age, children are aware of their sin as offenses against God, and they can have true contrition. They can also understand that the Holy Eucharist is not merely bread, but once consecrated by the priest at Mass truly becomes the actual body blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ himself. Therefore, they can receive the sacraments of confession and Holy Communion. While children are capable of attaining this age of reason at a younger age, it is universally acknowledged that in normal circumstance, every child attains his competency by age seven. That is why it's also the age at which the church's first precept binds them. As a practical matter, parents do well to teach their children that once they make their First Holy Communion, presumably at age seven or younger, that they're also bound by the precept to attend Mass on Sundays and Holy Days of Obligation. Continuing, though, What can we say about catechumens? Now, Father Prumer's explanation specifically concerns the reception of the sacrament of baptism. Now, the effects of baptism can likewise be conferred through baptism of desire and baptism of blood, as the Church has taught really against the heirs of the Phineas who deny these forms of baptism. But a catechumen who dies before reception of the sacrament of baptism can still receive the sanctifying grace of baptism through their desire and thus attain the beatific vision. We would do well to recall that our Lord himself taught that baptism is necessary for salvation and that it has been the constant teaching of the church that a soul needs sanctifying grace to enter and exist in heaven. Nevertheless, catechumens, regardless of their desire for the sacrament of baptism, are not yet canonically bound to assist at Holy Mass on Sundays and Days of Precepts. However, it would be incongruous for an adult catechumen, who asserts he wants to enter the Catholic Church to be unwilling to begin developing the habit of attending Sunday Mass. Such a disposition in the catechumen would be a red warning to the pastor that something is amiss. Therefore, catechumens should attend Sunday Mass. It is simply not a mortal sin if they don't, but they should do so under all normal circumstances, just like we would strive to do so with all normal means. Now, the question also comes up regarding Protestants. What about Protestants? Are Protestants obligated, if validly baptized, to attend Holy Mass? Turning to Father Dominic Pruner again, we read, "...subjects of the law of fasting are all baptized persons, until the beginning of their 60th year. Although, strictly speaking, Protestants and all baptized non-Catholics are obliged by the law of fasting inasmuch as they are subject to the laws of the Church, the Church does not seem to urge this obligation. Consequently, these non-Catholics are not to be accused, generally speaking, of grave sin, caused by the violation of the ecclesiastical fast or abstinence, end quote. So a natural extension of this, which he's writing about in regards to the precepts of fast and abstinence, would be to apply this to the precept of attending Holy Mass. Validly baptized non-Catholics do not strictly sin for violating the Church's precepts, yet since there is no salvation outside of the Church, they are all called to convert or reconvert, if they left the faith, to the one true faith, outside of which... There is no salvation. So if this interests you and you'd like to read more, please check out the article in the show notes entitled At What Age the Obligation to Attend Mass Begins, and you can check that out on the Fatima Center's website. If you'd like more information uh, regarding this and other topics of interest to moral theology, I would highly encourage The Handbook of Moral Theology by Father Dominic Pruner, which I reference in this work as well as in other works as well. On to the second topic of today's episode, I'd like to briefly go over some of the upcoming feast days this week. Now it's important to know that tomorrow, September 11th, is the anniversary of the tragic death of so many of our fellow Americans, especially those, I'm speaking from America, of course, to those who perished on 9-11 in 2001. So I think it would be very appropriate for us to recall them to mind. I know that there will be some Requiem Masses said for their souls and the souls of all of those who die in war and acts of terrorism at various uh, traditional Latin Mass communities around the country. Uh, But even if we're not able to attend that, it would be wise for us to pray the Rosary for the repose of their souls, for the defeat of the evil of terrorism in Islam. And really for us to also pray the office of the dead for their souls. Um, We would do so after praying uh, lauds. We would pray the office of the dead from lauds. And then we would do so in the evening as well, the office of the dead for vespers, which is in addition to the office set for the day, for those of us who are accustomed to praying the divine office. So make a note, September 11th, to recall each year praying for the dead, those who died as victims in our own time, as well as centuries beforehand, as we have long been under the yoke of um, oppression from Islam and others who believe in false religions, now September eleventh is the feast of saints produce and Hyacinth. Now, the story of most martyrs of the first three centuries is so often obscured by legend that it is really difficult for us to understand what is true and what is not, and some of that can be said of regarding today's saints. Uh, uh, for produce and hyacinth celebrated tomorrow. Tradition tells us that these were brothers. Produce and hyacinth were chamberlains to a holy virgin named Eugenia, who is listed as a martyr herself on December 25th in the Roman martyrology, and they were baptized along with their patron by the bishop. They devoted themselves zealously to the study of sacred scripture and lived for a time with the hermits in Egypt, illustrious for humility and holiness of life, and at a later day they accompanied Eugenia to Rome where they were arrested by the emperor for their profession of the Christian faith and for their refusal, obviously, to sacrifice to false pagan deities. In no manner could they be persuaded to deny the faith or worship of God And accordingly, after inhumane scourging and sufferings, they were beheaded on September 11th. Now, the remains of St. Hyacinth were only really discovered in the year 1845. Now, the Cemetery of Basile marks the site of their graves, and these relics are honored today in the chapel of the propaganda there. Um, saints Protus and hyacinth, so often forgotten, may they pray for us and pray for all of those who are victims of terrorism, especially on their feast day, September the 11th. Now, going on to the next day, a very important day, really, as we talk about nine eleven, is the Holy Name of Mary. Now, the Feast of the Holy Name of Mary celebrated on September the, the 12th began in Spain in the year 1513, and it was extended to all of Spain and Naples in 1671. Following this, in 1683, John Sobiecki, the king of Poland, brought an army to the outskirts of Vienna to, uh, in an effort to stop the advancement of the Muslim armies there, loyal to Muhammad IV and Constantinople. Sobiecki entrusted himself to the Blessed Virgin, and he and his soldiers defeated the armies after a significant battle, and severely outnumbered. As a result, Pope Innocent XI extended this feast to the Universal Church as a solemn thanksgiving for the relief of Vienna when it was besieged by the Turks in 1683. Now, I'll have a link in the show notes for those who want to learn more information about this attack and really the truly remarkable way in which these soldiers were able to persevere. It would also be a great day for us to call to mind um the Office of the Most Holy Name of Mary and a sermon written by St. Bernard of Clairvaux for this day. But what's interesting to note is actually Osama bin Laden mentioned that one of the de- reasons he chose September 11th for, for the attack was to coincide with the anniversary of this triumph of the Christians against the Islamic Turks, Uh, in Vienna from 1683. So this is a very important day for us to call to mind the triumph of Christianity, the triumph of Our Lady, the triumph of the cross that will one day be our prize. Let us really beseech and invoke the most holy name of Mary in a very special way on September 12th. We just celebrated her birthday on September 8th and September 12th. We honor her most holy name and we should recall as well that just as in the holy sacrifice of the mass whenever we hear the name of jesus we are to make a head bow we must do so as well by the rubrics the priest is required to do so at the most holy name of mary and the third such instance is when he names the saint in whose honor the mass is celebrated that day so for instance on september 11 the mass said for produce and hyacinth at their names he would make a slight head bow as well But this goes to show you the importance of the most holy names of Jesus and Mary, that we should, whenever we hear them, even in Mass or outside of Mass, make a slight head bow in honor of these most holy names. Now going on to the next day, September 14th, a very important day, is the Feast of the Exaltation of the Holy Cross. Now the servants of the Holy Family said of today's feast the following Quote, Originally the Feast of the Exaltation of the Holy Cross was celebrated solely to honor the anniversary of the discovery of the Holy Cross by Saint Helena and the dedication of the basilicas consecrated at Jerusalem on september fourteenth in the year three hundred thirty five on the very site of the Holy Sepulchre and of Calvary. But today's feast is also the commemoration of another event. The return of the Holy Cross by the Persians in 629. It had been carried off 15 years earlier on the occasion of a Persian victory, and only after the heroic and brilliant campaign of the Emperor Heraclius was it restored. In this sign of the Holy Cross will we, all and each, overcome the devil and his forces to reach our heavenly goal, much like Constantine did when he followed the apparition which instructed him to engage in battle with the sign of the cross as his insignia." On the Feast of the Exaltation of the Holy Cross, therefore, we recall the cross not as an instrument of death, as we did on Good Friday, but as a symbol of our Lord's triumph over sin, Satan, and death. We recall it through baptism that each one of us is baptized into the death of Christ, and by accepting our sufferings in this world, we too carry our crosses, in imitation of the Divine Redeemer, so we may ultimately be brought to the resurrection. Now, it should also be noted that there are several indulgences for the Feast of the Exaltation of the Holy Cross that we can gain if we are in the state of grace, one of which I'd like to mention is the Chapel of the Five Wounds. It's taken from the Recol- uh, Recolta. We, we can uh, pray that chaplet as well, and there's various prayers to the five holy wounds as well that would be very appropriate to be said to gain indulgences on the Feast of the Exaltation of the Holy Cross. I will have a link in the show notes to those prayers. Going forward, on September 15th, we celebrate the Feast of Our Lady of Sorrows. The Church remembers the Virgin Mary under the title of Our Lady of Sorrows. This is an addition to the Feast of Our Lady of Sorrows in Lent, which occurs on the Friday before Good Friday. Now, before the changes introduced by Pope St. Pius X, his feast was kept on the third Sunday of September, and St. Pius X instead fixed it on September 15th, as he did with several other feast days that were tied to Sundays by moving them, another one of which is the Feast of the Most Precious Blood, as I talked about in July. Now, this feast day, as a result, effectively replaced the octave day of Our Lady's Nativity, because he fixed it permanently on what would have been the octave day of Our Lady's Nativity, a simple octave uh, but unfortunately an octave that so many others went out the window in the 1950s. Now, in the words of St. Therese of Lisieux, quote, she, that is, our Blessed Mother, has given so many proofs that she cares for us like a mother. End quote. So take a few minutes to reflect on that. She's given us so many proofs that she cares for us like a mother. Now, we can reflect on those proofs when we really understand the seven sorrows of, of the Blessed Virgin. One, the prophecy of Simeon. 2. The flight into Egypt. 3. The loss of the child Jesus for three days. 4. The meeting of our Lord Jesus with her on the way to Calvary. 5. The crucifixion and death of her son, Jesus Christ. 6. The taking down of his most sacred body from the cross. and 7. Our Lord's body laid in his mother's arm and then in the tomb. These sorrows are ones that should pierce our own heart. So what we can do is we can pray the Litany of the Seven Dolores on September 15th as a real means to honor our Blessed Mother's own sufferings. She is the Mediatrix of all graces, the Co-Redemptrix, as she truly suffered incomparably as seeing her son bruised, ripped apart, bloodied, crucified, and killed on Good Friday. Let us recall that she suffered immensely as well, so no matter what kind of pains we're going through, what kind of sufferings, what kind of illnesses, what kind of mental problems, everything that we can experience that is not good, we must offer it all to God through the intercession of Our Lady, since she bore in her own heart such immense sufferings, trusting all in the providence of God. And lastly, September 16th, this upcoming Saturday, is the feast of two great saints, Cornelius and Cyprian, who are both mentioned in the Canon of the Mass. Pope uh, St. Cornelius was his successor to Pope uh, St. Fabian. He reigned from the year 251 to 253. During his reign, a controversy rose concerning the manner of reinstating those who had fallen from the faith under duress of persecution. Now, there was a group that accused the Pope of too great indulgence in separating themselves from the church. Now, with the help of St. Luciana, Cornelius transferred the remains of the princes, of the apostles, to places of greater honor as well, as well as stating a way for which those who have fallen in persecution To be restored to catholic unity now on account of his successful preaching the pagans banished him uh, where he ultimately died and saint cyprian sent him a letter of condolence Um, now cyprian was an illustrious pagan rhetorician in carthage who embraced the faith in the year 246 and was thereafter consecrated a, a priest and became bishop of that city in 248 He was an energetic shepherd of souls and prolific writer. He defended the unity of the Church against schismatic movements in Africa and Italy and greatly influenced the shaping of Church discipline relative to reinstating Christians who had apostatized. He fled during the Dacian persecution but guided the Church by means of letters, and during the Valerian persecution of 258, he was ultimately beheaded. He suffered martyrdom in the presence of his flock after giving the executioner 25 pieces of gold, Saint Jerome says of him, quote, It is superfluous to speak of his greatness, for his works are more luminous than the sun, end quote. Cyprian ranks as an important church father, one whose writings are universally respected and often read in the divine office. His principal works are on the unity of the church, on apostates, a collection of letters, and the Lord's Prayer, as well as on the value of patience. Much more can be said about these and the other saints we celebrate this week, but I trust that if you do want to learn more, you will take a link uh, in the show notes and go from there to further your reading. Now, I ask all of you to please uh, pray for, for everyone who, um, as I said at the beginning of this episode, has been a victim of terrorism, especially as we recall 9-11. May their souls and the souls of all the faithful departed. Through the mercy of God, rest in peace. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. May God grant you a most blessed week. Thank you again. Ad maiorum Dei gloria. We do